Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Larry Kaplan, founder and managing partner of CSG Partners. And he's got, we're going to talk about ESOPs, Employee Stock Ownership Programs. Thank you for being on the show today, Larry. Yeah, great for a hat. Thanks for having me, Ron. I appreciate you taking the time of the day to have me on the show. Yeah, I think this would be fun. I would say I could probably count the facts I know about ESOPs on a single hand. This is going to be fun for me. It's a learning experience. One of the reasons I do the show is so I can learn and then I like to share that knowledge with others. I had the preconceived notion before that you and I talked last time that in order to set up an employee stock option program, it has to be bigger. So we'll get into that. But first, let's start off with kind of who you are, and like I was joking before the show, we always kind of do the joke that, hey, you were born and then you ended up on a show about mergers and acquisitions. <laughs> Can you fill out the gap in between? Sure, you know, uh, sure. I'll take it about 25 years ago, kind of a good starting point. I had gone to college, got an MBA. I was working in a consulting group of a large accounting firm in New York doing middle market acquisitions and corporate finance work. And at that point in time, I came across a company that we were doing evaluation of the brand name of the company. It was a company called Bill Blass, the fashion designer, and he had died and the estate was selling the company and we were just doing evaluation of the brand for some financing component of it. And I saw that as part of this transaction, an employee stock ownership plan was going to receive millions and millions of dollars. I don't know, 10, 50, I mean, they were getting a lot of money and it was all going to the employees. And I said, just like you, wow, that's interesting. How did this company get to the point where these employees, when the company was sold, were getting 10 or $15 million? And so I started doing research as to what an ESOP was. And I found out that it's this incredible tax advantage plan, but nobody knew about it, right? So the founding shareholders receive money without paying capital gains taxes. The company receives all kinds of tax benefits. And the first thing that I did is I went around to the partners at the accounting firm that I was with, who I respected very much, and I started asking them, what did they know about ESOP transactions? And basically, they knew absolutely nothing, and everything that they thought they knew was completely wrong. <laughs> and so I knew there was this opportunity. Just about that time, I had some friends that were creating a middle market investment bank that was backed by American Express. And they asked me to join me in this plan, and we were going to be doing something completely different. But that was in the summer of 2000. And everything that we were planning on doing, which was raising money for high growth companies and eventually giving a conduit to taking them public, fell apart when the whole tech bubble blew apart, the internet bubble in 2000. And we had this little investment bank and we needed to do something to make money. 
And I said, what about this ESOP transaction, right? There's nobody really marking it. There's nobody really promoting it. And we tilted the company 23 years ago to start promoting, educating business owners, educating professionals, lawyers, accountants as to what an ESOP is. And it's an alternative to selling out your company to a strategic buyer or a financial buyer. And then we've grown the company ever since. So now we're, we'll do hopefully this year 25 to 30 ESOP transactions for companies all across the United States. And next year, we're hoping to do 40 and really start getting employees becoming owners and helping business owners have an alternative to the sale. I think the name says most of it, right? Like employee stock ownership program. Is it a legal structure like an LLC or is it just, uh, I mean, can you do it as a C-Corp? Because you have to be, how does it work? Sure. So, so ESOP, let's go back to the history of ESOPs and when they were formed. So in 1974, Congress passed their ERISA, the, the retirement legislation that governs 401k plans and all the different retirement plans. And when they passed it, Due to years of lobbying by a very, there was a man, I'm just gonna give a shout out to him right now. He's passed away, but he was a brilliant man. His name was Lewis, his name was Kelso. I can't remember his first name. And his idea was saying, starting in the 1950s, that we live in this capitalist society, right? And we're back then we're in this heated cold war with the Soviet Union, but yet only 1% of the population owned equity in any of the companies. So were we really any different from any other company, even though? And so he said, in order to make America productive, we need to get equity ownership in the hands of the workers. And he came up with this idea and he received support in Congress to get this passed, where the government provides tax incentives to business owners in order to get them to sell their companies to their employees rather than selling out to a strategic buyer or financial buyer. And lo and behold, in 1974, when they passed this retirement legislation, ESOPs came into existence. And then being a smart businessman, he went around the country and actually I think at that time he sent audio tapes to business owners of middle market businesses around the country, promoting ESOPs and educating them. And since then it's been one of the most effective government retirement plans ever created. It's created billions of dollars of wealth for employees. It created billions of dollars of liquidity for business owners. And it's still going strong now, almost 50 years after it was introduced. So it was an incredible beginning. Now, to answer your question, I'm going to answer it. You could be, people put in ESOPs, can be an S corporation. It could be an LLC or it could be a C corporation. So all three potential structures can all have the ability to implement ESOPs to a certain degree. How big does a company need to be in order to set one up? Is there a, so like that you don't have to be that big. I mean, there, there's unfortunately because it's regulated, there are expenses that go into setting these transactions up. You need to get it for transactions that we work on, right? Because if the employees are buying the stock of a company, right? How do you know someone needs to represent them to make sure they're paying a fair value? Even if the business owner is all well-intentioned, you still have to have a systems of checks and balances. So to put an ESOP in place, you need to have a trustee that represents the employees. You need to have a law firm. You need to have a financial firm advising that trustee, making sure that they're paying the price. So there are costs that get associated with it. For us, for CSG, we work on clients that have EBITDAs of $2.5 million in North. 
But it's possible to do transactions, and there are companies that are doing this for companies that are making five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year. So you can really go down on the size scale. That's not the types of businesses that we're working with, but I know there are certain groups that are working with smaller family-owned business, tire retailers, other small companies, and they're successfully putting in ESOP transactions. So it's just like one of the things about like certain programs and going public and stuff is once you do it, you actually have to have additional staff because of compliance and, and reporting mechanisms. Right. So once you like, I would, I think the average is like, I'm going to butcher this, but I know there's at least three or four more additional employees. If you go public, you almost need two or three additional employees for all the reporting requirements and stuff. Is this something like that where there's an additional carrying cost because you have reporting requirements? You do have reporting requirements, right? But they're not onerous and you definitely do not need additional staff. There are ongoing expenses because Mm -hmm. every year, because when the employees buy that stock, Mm -hmm. how do they know how much their stock is worth, right? It's not a publicly traded, if it's a publicly traded stock, then it's easy. But if it's a, the overwhelming majority of ESOPs are in privately held businesses, how do you know what your stock is worth? So every year, the company has to complete a valuation, right? So every year they hire a third party, they come in, they do a valuation, and that valuation gets used to come up with the stock value. So now the employee receives their form 5,500, the same 5,500 they receive if they put a 401k plan, it lists all of their investments. And one of their investments will be that company stock, and it'll be valued. So you do have to complete the Form 5500. You do have to do evaluation every year. So there are some ongoing expenses. But just like you you outsource the third-party administration in a 401k, you outsource. And most 401k providers will also have a group that handles ESOP third-party administration. So they'll do all the record-keeping and all the bookkeeping. So it's not onerous at all. Is it some cost? Yes, but it's not a major deal. Is it some type of like set fee or is it based upon how big the company is and number of employees and how big number, the plan is? Usually the, the valuation, again, if it's depending on how complicated that company is, that's going to be a fixed fee. It could run anywhere from 15000 to thirty to 35000 to something depending on the size of the company. And then the third party administrator is based on how many employees that you have. So if you have less than 20 employees, it's probably not more than six or $7,000 a year, similar to what they're paying for their 401k third-party administration. But of course, that's offset by if I had a company that was earning $2 million a year and I was paying eight, $900,000 in taxes, if we do the ESOP correctly, you're saving eight, $900,000 in taxes a year. So yes, there's some costs, but it's overshadowed by the tax savings that the company's going to receive on a go-forward basis. Interesting. Now, um, we'll get to, uh, I'm trying to think, is now the right time to ask the liquidity question? How does the ESOP get funded? You set this up, where does the money come from to buy the shares? Is that a weekly paychecks? Is there an investment bank backing it and putting money into this? What, you know, where's the money coming from? That's a, uh, that's an excellent question. And this is where massive misinformation goes out there, right? So first off, the employees don't come up with any money out of their own pocket, right? The government is theoretically providing the quote equity by the employees by giving these tax breaks. So let's just go first over the tax breaks and then we'll say how it's funded, right? So if a business owner sells their stock to an employee, when they receive that cash, if they reinvest it under Section 1042 of the U.S., which is investing into stocks and bonds of U.S. operating companies, they pay zero tax. So if you're in a high tax state like California or New York, 
you're saving roughly 33, 34, 35% of what you would have paid in taxes is now in your pocket. So that's kind of like the equity capital because you don't have to pay capital gains taxes when you sell to an ESOP. Now, I want to talk more about the, you have to be a C corporation to do that. Save that conversation for a few minutes later, but you don't pay taxes. And then whatever your company is worth, say my company is worth $10 million and I sold half of it to the employees for $5 million. The company receives $5 million of tax deductions that it could use to offset its income going forward. So assuming that company was a pass-through entity paying 43, 44 cents of every dollar in taxes, now it's going to hopefully be paying zero in taxes for many years. So those are the two major tax deductions, no capital gains taxes to the shareholder, and then the company receives tax deductions to pay its debt down much faster. So having said that, right, then where does the money come, right? The employees don't have any money. And if I'm a shareholder, yeah, I'd rather sell to my employees, but if they have no money, where are they going to get the money to buy my company from? And so the first thing is that companies, we view, I view, and I think our whole firm does, and a lot of people, I view ESOP as a tax advantage leverage buyout. If you're a business owner and you're going to sell to a private equity group, right, what are they really selling, right? They're selling their future cash flows. And that private equity group, even though it's called private equity, yeah, they're going to invest some equity, but more likely than not, the majority of that transaction is going to be financed with debt, right? That private equity groups can go to the capital markets, whether it's banks or unit lenders, they're going to raise that money, okay? We do the same thing in an ESOP, right? We leverage companies' balance sheets. And the most important thing is if they're big enough companies on a completely non-personal recourse basis, lenders are lending money to the company, collateralized only by the cash flow and the assets of that business. So we've got a network of banks and the non-bank lenders all across the country that are actively seeking to invest into employee-owned companies. And that bank will lend the money to the company the company lends that money to the ESOP, and the ESOP gives that shareholder the cash. So it's a debt finance transaction. And because the company doesn't pay any taxes, we can pay down that debt very, very quickly and then build up the equity value for the employees. And you already mentioned this. It's not always a 100% sell. You could sell yeah. a percentage of your company to the employees. Yeah, that's right. The, in order to get take advantage of not paying capital gains taxes, there's all different kinds of ESOPs. And you can put mm -hmm. an ESOP in as an employee benefit. Mm -hmm. uh, those are not the transactions that we focus on. We focus on ESOPs as a liquidity transaction for business owners. And in order not to pay capital gains taxes when you're a seller, you need to sell 30% of the stock. Okay. The majority of the transactions that we do are between 30 and 49% in the first stage. And then we could potentially sell more later on. In your experience, do you guys, I mean, you've been doing this for quite a while now. I was looking at your website, it said 300 plus transactions. Yeah, correct. <clears throat> you guys got 40 plus awards. So let's talk about uh, like some of the after stories. What normally happens to a company after it becomes employee stock option or stock ownership program? Like once you become an ESOP, is there a, do you see a change or a shift? You see. That's a really good, first off, from a financial perspective. Right, mm -hmm. the companies are in much better footing because they've got all these tax deductions. Mm -hmm. And then we find our clients run the gamut. We've got certain clients that are really, really into the ESOP and the transformative nature that it can have upon that company, right? And the power of taking a, an employee and turning them into an owner. 
okay? And maybe 30% of our clients fall. That takes commitment, right? That takes education and many times sharing financial information and really working with the employees. So not only do they understand the ESOP, but they understand the business and how their individual role in that company could affect the profits. And if the profits rise, they participate in it. And then we've got companies in the middle ground that do some of that and some education. And then you've got some other companies that they just don't just don't take the time, but it's still great, right? I mean, this is what I want to get across, right? Even the companies that put in the ESOP, but don't take the time to get that employee productivity increase, which we like to see, which we encourage, the companies still generate huge returns for their employee owners, right? And every year that employee gets that form 5,500, as these businesses succeed, their value of that goes up. And every year we're creating hundreds of millions of dollars of value of actual cash value that's flowing into these employee owners accounts i the only company i can think i've ever worked for that actually had something like that i think lockheed martin i knew we could, our 401k we could buy the 401k or lockheed martin stock it's performed really well i actually have two friends that's never sold theirs a bunch of us worked there nice. when we got out of the military they've never sold theirs and they worked there for two years and i asked one of them so what does that look like now after two years of just putting a little bit of like now his salary would have been in the sixty to seventy thousand range, or whatever percentage of your like you're saving, say five percent of that. It's not much money, and it's up there in the numbers. It's six figures now, so oh, yeah. over twenty, fifteen, eighteen years, twenty years, twenty twenty five right. years. Oh no, there. Are, I mean, you've got ESOP companies. I mean, we've seen it. I'll just mm -hmm. give you one quick example. He did a, a, a and a, we implemented for one of our clients about five years ago an employee stock ownership plan. They were a insurance brokerage operation, primarily property and casualty, a nice local regional property and casualty agency. And we sold 49% of that stock and the employees started building value. There are 40 employees, right? Within four years, five years of implementing that ESOP, they started receiving takeover offers that were so high that they had to take them. I mean, they were just really <laughs> crazy offers. And so within five years, 40 employees split $70 million. Now that is a 100% true story. That's and awesome. So it was awesome. Yeah, I would love to have seen the ESOP continue, but the company was being valued by the ESOP trustee at about nine times. And we came close to doubling that on a sale to a third party. And when the offer, but I mean, that was so great, right? Because so many times in the company's history, they might get an offer that's just too good to be true. But rather mm -hmm. getting on this offer that's too good to be true and saying to everybody, okay, thanks very much for your 35 years of hard work. Here's a nice luncheon to celebrate the sale. Now the employees participated in that sale. So it's not kind of what everyone really went into this for, but sometimes after five years of work, right? Splitting 70 among 40, it's not a bad deal. And by the way, they get that cash that goes into their IRAs because a lot of these employees were 35, 40 years old. They get to keep that money growing in a tax deferred account, right? Until they hit mandatory retirement age. So it's life changing for them. And I can tell you so many other stories that are the exact same as that one. I'm interested. We were talking before the show. I just got into really looking into and interviewing the guys from the great game of business, which is a strategy of open books. And they really promote employee ownership. I was, they have one called the getting in the game, which I actually interviewed the author, Steve Baker of that and co-author. He had a, him and another guy wrote that one. They 
the whole thing is inside of their whole program is the employee getting the employees to be entrepreneurial and getting the employees to take ownership in and they really promote that and they've just seen incredible now they teach them the financials. They're the, the, the two models you were talking about earlier, they're the ones that they teach financials. They teach the right. impact each individual has. This is how you impact the bottom line. Teach them how to reach a read balance sheets, income statements, cash flow. Understand what they say is they all the information is shared, not all of it's explained. So they don't say my salary is this and your salary is that because that causes right. division and problems. They say the overall salary, we pay X number of dollars in salary. And they leave some of the stuff at the higher level like that. And some of it is like, we spend $2 million a year on toilet paper. <laughs> Who can help us get the price down on that, right? Because they have 13 locations and 2,000 employees or whatever. But uh, it's incredible what happens when you train people is like, this is what happens. This is how you impact what the company does. This is how the company makes money and how you make money inside of the company. So I know Lockheed never did that with us. It was just an opportunity for us to buy Lockheed shares. Trying to think of any other company I've ever been with that had that. I was just one of those t a typical guy until I get in the space, right? Yeah. I can't remember any of that. I remember putting money in 401ks and mutual funds and stuff, but I just got in, did my job, and checked off a box on that stuff. Yeah, no, the ESOP for it's transformative and for mm -hmm. companies that go that extra mile, right? So, you know, that practice, that open book, right? Because if you're going to make the employee a stock owner, Right. If they're again, just to be technical about it, right? The employees don't own the stock individually. There's right. a trust that's created on their behalf, and they receive shares allocated to them within that trust. That's more so for just control purposes and making sure that you don't get a rogue shareholder that mucks up everything. But right. but putting that aside, the more information that you provide people with right? The more that they know and the more they can see what their impact is on the operation, the more you're going to increase profits. And there's some, just again, this is not a client of ours, but I, and I don't know if you've ever been down to Florida, but down in Florida, there's a large, and I think in the Southeast too, there's a large supermarket chain called Publix. A lot of people don't know this. Publix is a public company, but I believe 80% of their stock is held within, held by the employees. And if you ever walk into a Publix and you see the service that you get in that Publix, you're going to say, wow, this is the best grocery store I've ever been to. And there are lots of grocery stores that have moved toward this ESOP economic model because you've got people that are, and there are others. There's a company out in the Midwest called Houchins, which is 100% employee-owned S-Corporation supermarket. And you've got literally have people that are working on the checkout register or bagging bags. And when they retire, they walk away with checks in the millions of dollars. And now that employees have seen that if you stay with the company and you participate in this ESOP, when you retire, you know, you're going to get enough money to actually retire and have a very nice retirement. And it's been, and that's what the ESOP does. I mean, and that's what the ESOP was intended to do, right? It's not a get rich quick scheme, but it's that if you work at a company in a, for a long time, you're going to get the equity, you're going to be vested in that equity. And when it comes time to retire, you're going to be able to have enough income to live your life and not have to be worrying about working till you're 85 years old. And that's how the ESOP changes lives. So how does individual liquidity work? So if I'm working at an employee owned, if I'm working at a company that's employee owned and I get my, my piece of the pie, I guess I earn shares per percentage of my income or something each, Correct, each month. Yeah. I'm there for five years and I leave. Do I get to take that and roll it over into something else or like a normal 401k well, or? 
just like a, just like all the other retirement plans, there's a vesting schedule, right? So right. normally the most most common vesting schedule is 20% a year, years two, three, four, five, and six. So if you're there for five years and you leave, you're definitely going to walk away with something, okay? And then there's also, while the ESOP, let's assume the ESOP purchased half the shares of a company, mm -hmm. right? All those shares don't get allocated day one. Right. Those shares get allocated over time to the employees so that there's enough shares to be giving out to people over a 5, 10, 15 year horizon. So you have to have shares allocated to the account. You get that by working for the company. You have to have time working for the company. And then when you retire, right, the company makes a market. Right. So the, it's not a public company. So the company makes the market and buys those shares from you. So you, you get to leave, the company buys that, and then you can roll that money over into another retirement plan. Okay. So if the company buys those shares from it, it means there's some pool of money set aside for buying out the plan? or There's or two ways of doing that, right? Yeah. So number one, right, you could finance it. And for the first three, four, five, six years, there's nobody leaving. They're not vested. So there's no real requirement to have any money. But after year five, you're going to run something called a repurchase liability study, right? So if I'm a business owner, I'm going to look at my age demographics and I'm going to see how many of these employees will be retiring over years six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And you've got a few choices, right? You could either start building a sinking fund to finance that. You could say, okay, I've got enough cash. Remember, and this is the other interesting thing too, and I want to emphasize this so much, right? Because the ESOP companies will more likely than not pay no taxes. If I was a business earning $3 million, mm -hmm. paying $1.2, $1.3 million in taxes, now a business earning $3 million paying zero in taxes. And in my experience, right, I've never seen the employees that leave the company in any particular year, because they're all being spread out over years, mm -hmm. that the company has ever had to come out of cash more than their tax savings for that year. Now, it definitely has happened. I just have not been personally involved with them. So you can finance that out of company cash flow, and you can also find that, finance it out of borrowing. So there's many different ways of acquiring that stock. You just got to make sure that you've got the ability to do it. And by the way, you don't have to buy that all in one year. You could buy them out over a five-year period. So the interesting thing is that well, I guess I should ask. I've made a statement. I don't know the, if it's true or not. So let's ask it as a question. Inside of the employee stock option program, is it uniform across to everybody? Or can you have, is it like a 401k where you can have executives have one tier of program and line workers have another tier? Or is it, how does it structured? Another good question. So the, the ESOP itself is what they call non-discriminatory. That's what I thought. Right? Okay. Everybody participates equally, but up as their compensation. So if you've got an employee making $150,000, you have another one making $50,000, each year when shares get allocated, that $150,000 employee will get three times the amount as that $50,000. But And there's a cap. I think the current cap this year is about $305,000. Mm -hmm. So anything above that, you don't get any ESOP credit for. But a lot of times when we do an ESOP, and this is another thing I want everybody to understand too, is that often we combine a management buyout with an ESOP. We'll call it an ESOP MBO. And so we'll try to build into the deal where key managers can have up to 20 or 30% of the company. So they'll all be participants with the ESOP, but we want to build up a little something extra for the top people 
so that they're completely incentivized. So everyone's rolling in the same direction and they get a little bit extra as an as incentive not to leave the company and stay with the business. So it actually acts as a bit of an employee retention plan, right? Absolutely. It's, you know, people, you're not going to leave on four, year four when if you're doing well as a company because at year five, you, at least if you are, it has to be a very lucrative offer because you're going to have to walk away from some stock value. That's, yeah, 100%. I mean, every year the plan goes on. Yeah, you could leave, right? But you could be forfeiting a significant amount of value in your ESOP plan. And when you start getting employees to boot the company for 5, 10, 15 years, right, they start to see the power of that ESOP. While they can leave, obviously, in the last couple of years, has been a crazy employee market with some really high offers. It, the retention is far better at ESOP companies than not ESOP companies. And th those are particularly for workers that are over the age of, let's say, 35 or 40. If you're under the age of 30, they're jumping companies left and right. Right. Is there any like industries that you guys would avoid? Like, is there any particular industries where it just doesn't make sense to do ESOP? Uh, yeah, again, I, not that we would avoid it, but we don't do a lot in the high tech space, right? We work with cash flow positive companies that are earning money and paying taxes. So if you've got companies that could be worth $150 million, but they don't make any profits and they're not going to be scheduled to make profits for a number of years, what good is the tax savings? Nor could we raise any money usually to buy them out. Those are really venture capital backed. So those, but other than that, I mean, we work in so many different industries, manufacturing, distribution, healthcare, you name an industry, construction, and we're active in that business. It's interesting. I refer to those as the unicorn. So you don't go unicorn hunting either. Right? No, no we're, we, we, we don't do anything with these unicorns. That's just a different market than we are. We like companies that produce a product and get paid for it, or they have a service we do a lot of consulting, engineering, architectural firms. Again, those are firms that are looking for, they've been around for a long time. They want to keep that continuity. You've got one age group that's retiring. And as people get to this, and you're going to see this over the next 10 years, you've got this great number of businesses that are going to be transferred from the founding generation to another generation. And that's the one thing that we want to do is we want to get in front of those business owners that's saying, hey. Right. If you've got a company and you're integral to this community and you've got people have been working with you for a long time, sure, you can sell this company to a competitor or you can sell it to a private equity. But we've got an alternative that's going to give you a lot of money and it's going to give terrific tax benefits. And then you could reward the people that have helped you build that organization. Yeah, there's an organization that travels around and they, they promote to local communities to reach out to the local businesses in their community and convince them to set up ESOPs to keep, to keep businesses local, right? Yeah. So they'll reach out to like a small county and say, hey, you've got 55 manufacturing companies in town that are 30 years old or more. Have you heard about this ESOP thing? And they structure, they go for the community approach. I was looking, when I was doing some research on you, I stumbled across those guys. That's a different angle to go at, but I like the fact what they're doing is instead of selling convincing the owners to keep the jobs local so people so the communities thrive right yeah like yeah. some of the some of the companies i've looked at where they only employ 55 people but they're in such a small community that if they leave and move to another location yeah. yeah that's the major employer in that area like you know, small rural town oklahoma right that's interesting that this keeps it around i know i participated in, in one of the 
I volunteered for a company for a couple of years in the self-help space. And when the founder left it, he turned it into this employee stock option program. And I always thought maybe, and I'm, I'm bringing this up as a question. I always thought maybe that limited, limited them in some scope, because if you're a lot of times to sell to a private equity, that route you sell a company to private equity sometimes because you're wanting to see where the private equity come takes it, right? A private equity company is going to <clears throat> infuse some cash into it, but they're going to have an acquisition model where they acquire other companies and bolt them on, and they're going to do the hockey stick growth. So is there a play inside of their, like, do private equity companies dip inside of these ESOPs at all? And like, there have been, first of all, let's, that's kind of like a two-party question, right? right. So we spoken to many, many, many private equity firms to mm -hmm. get them on board with the ESOP plan. And it kind of has fallen on deaf ears. They've got a business model. They know their business model and trying to understand this was too much brain damage. And so there are very, very few private equity firms that use the ESOP as a tool. Now, there are many ESOP companies, though, that act like the same model where they put an ESOP in place. And now because they have this non-taxable entity, they're going ahead and acquiring businesses and bolting them on and turning them into non-taxable entities. So they're using their platform and growing their business in the same way that a private equity firm does it, except they're doing it much more tax efficiently. And instead of the private equity firm getting that equity, it's the employees that are getting that equity. And it's tremendously different. We've got a big initiative right now in the healthcare space where I don't know if you're familiar with what's going on, but medical practices all across the United States, surgical practices have been bought up by private equity groups. And we've got an alternative model to that where you could use the ESOP to buy it out and have everyone participate in it rather than going to a third-party private equity group. And it's been very successful and we're excited about it. What's interesting is I didn't think about it, but that's what the guys behind that the book I was telling you about, The Great Game of Business, that's what they've done, right? They're got a, they have got I hope I'm not making a mistake here, but I'm pretty sure they set up an ESOP because they promote it all the time. And they've acquired 60-something companies, 60-plus companies in, in, in probably what? I think it's like 25 or 30 years. I was trying to look at my notes. I don't have them up right now just to give you exact stats on that. But they did that model, I guess, because they they really, really into the open and stuff. So um, let's go back to still like this whole concept where we, is it an exit strategy? Like you're looking to leave or is it just a business operation strategy? You're looking for, like, I like the tax. It's both, it's right? It's both, right? It's both, right? So number one, say, let's talk about it as a liquidity strategy. If I'm a mm -hmm. business owner and I've been working here, I'm in my fifties. And if you look at my personal balance sheet, I've got 90% of my personal net worth is locked up in this illiquid asset, my company stock. And they're not ready to retire. They still think there's good growth rate on the company. Then let's do a minority piece, right? Let's sell 30% of the company, start getting the tax break, start sharing the equity with the employees and get a partial liquidity strategy. If you want to do more down the line and the employees are taking on and growing with the company, then you can sell more of that company down the line, right? So that's kind of number one is that it's a liquidity strategy. It can be an exit strategy. 
And then number two, as a business operational strategy, right? Obviously, we talked about the productivity improvements from the employee. There's all kinds of data that shows that employee-owned companies, ESOP-owned companies, are more productive per worker than all other companies. So number one, you're getting the employee productivity. Number two, you're getting the tax efficiency. Right. And you've built into this platform ability to start buying other companies, bringing them in and getting the tax efficiency. And so, like, we've got one particular structure here where, say, the business owner is not ready to retire. They want to do an acquisition growth by acquisition strategy. We could turn these companies into 100 percent employee owned S corporations. And I think I mentioned this to you previously, where the owners can have approximately, let's say, 45 percent of the stock in what they call synthetic equity. Right, which gives them the right to buy back in at a later date at a price that's scheduled at the time of the transaction. So now I've got a company that's entirely tax-free. The owner participates in the upside in this tax-free business, and now they can acquire all their competitors around the country. And when they acquire them, the owner of that selling company, if he sells to them, doesn't have to pay capital gains taxes on it. And then that cash flow stream comes into it, no, no taxes of ordinary income. So it's the most ideal platform to start acquiring companies is an ESOP, far better than any other structure. And that's what we're trying to get these businesses to do. So the epiphany just came to all my friends out there. You guys are doing roll-ups, right? You're acquiring companies, bolting on. I know somebody, I have a group of friends that are, I tease them to tell them they're creating a tizzy roll. They're doing a roll-up in the chocolate space, right? But uh, the brilliant side of that, if you take the first, Normally, when you do the roll up, at least the way that the strategy that most people I know do it, you look for a big one, an anchor property that has all the management structure, all the stuff in place. Mm -hmm. You do your acquisition of that one, work with them, and then you bolt everything else onto it, right? Mm -hmm. So you've already got a cornerstone, an anchor property. Private equity does this too. They'll get their anchor, their main company, and they bolt onto it. If you did the ESOP on that, you do, you, you take the the main company to set up your ESOP and you do it, you just did an entire rollup. One of the biggest problems with rollup is that tax, the taxing of it when it's taxed, right? And there's all these creative ways to try to postpone that tax to the end. And like we were doing one, I guess we finished it up almost a year ago. We sold it off to our partners, but the marketing agencies, and we didn't even think of that. We had even thousands of tens of thousands of dollars, like nearly a hundred thousand dollars, like high tens of thousands of dollars on legal expenses to set up our structure to do like waterfall effects and all this stuff to postpone the taxes until the sale. And how we just went out and grabbed, I didn't think about that, but had we went out and grabbed the first one, the anchor property, convinced the owner, work with the company, like you turn it into ESOP, we could have avoided that altogether, right? Absolutely. I mean, these, the ESOPs are the most, it's like, what was that? Alien. It's like the, the perfect life form for acquisitions, right? right. It doesn't pay. I mean, 100% employee-owned S corporations, and I told you how owners could still have that synthetic equity, mm -hmm. don't pay any taxes. They pay zero. So if you're in the state of California, right, and look at it before and after, right? Mm -hmm. you, if you earn $10 million, you're paying $5 million roughly in ordinary income taxes every year. And now you're paying zero. So you just doubled the cash flow. And that continues. So we've got companies that are just accumulating cash on their balance sheet and are looking for acquisitions. And it is a perfect, perfect acquisition vehicle that so few people use. But there are a lot of people that do it under the radar that are building up 
dental practices. There, so there was a dental roll-up that was acquiring all dental practices, and then they sold out. But when they sold out, everyone participated in that. And they're doing the same thing in, in uh, HVAC and bunches of other industries are using the ESOP as that vehicle. And it's really an alternative to that private equity platform. But it's amazing. You run this show and you don't really hear about it, right? I mean, when you look at ESOPs of size, maybe 200 of them get done in the United States each year, as opposed to 7,000 private equity deals. As an owner, can you do it as a retirement thing? So what I'm thinking is if you're participating in the ESOP, do you have to be currently employed? So could I sell 80% of a company to the employees and then live on a dividend or earn some income off the company for that other 20% for the, sure. for, like, you put that, that 20% before. in my trust and have the, the family office or the family trust get that so long as the business exists type of thing or? Yeah. We, so here's another transaction because you, and you probably come across this, right? There were so many business owners that haven't done estate planning. So they right. built up that company and they got all this equity value that's locked in that stock and they're going to pay lots of taxes, both on the sale and upon death. So what we do, just to give you an example, we'll do a transaction where they'll sell 49% of the company to an ESOP, keep 2% for themselves. Mm -hmm. Post-transaction, when the debt's on the company, right, they'll then gift to a family trust, right, the other 49%. And now since they're gifting a minority piece, they started the company that's valued here, they put the debt on the company from the transaction, then now they're gifting a minority piece and if you use some standard estate planning, like a sale to an intentionally defective grant or trust or a sale to a brat, you're able to make that gift for practically zero. And now if you've got a partially ESOP-owned company, a partially that trust will continue to generate dividends for as long as they want to generate dividends for. And so you could absolutely do get liquidity and get that. And it's also a tool that if you've got kids in the business, right, you want, to, you want some liquidity, you don't want to give the business to the kids for nothing but you want them to get the business often will combine an ESOP with a family leverage buyout. And so that the kids can come in and get it. And then the natural evolution of an ESOP, right? You've got some ESOPs that'll go for decades, but you've got some that are family businesses that they gift the, to the kids. And then when the employees retire, the company will buy the employee's stock, put that stock into treasury. And sometimes the ESOPs will shrink over time. And so it's a good tool for intergenerational planning. It's interesting. There's just so many different ways that this could be structured. It's one of those things that like, if it really caught on, do you think they would change the rules around it? Right. Um, exactly. Cause if it exactly really caught right. on and every, every company out there knew about it and all these companies, and, and as, let's just say 40% of companies started that were over two and a half million dollars started implementing this, the right. corporate tax would make an impact on the federal government's revenue. And at some point the rules would change. Right. So. Correct. Correct. But you know what? It's been out now for almost 50 years. And we ask ourselves this every day, right? When we get done with meetings with our clients and we start running mm -hmm. the financial analysis, and I, I'm not selling here, I'm telling you what happens. 75% of the time they sit there and they say, wow, this is just too good to be true. What's the catch? And we have to make sure that they understand there really is no catch, that it's a government program that's in the tax code and that it works. Yeah, on the one hand, you're right, right? If more information gets out there and hundreds of companies were doing this, they couldn't have this. I mean, employee-owned companies, and there are companies that are 100% employee-owned S-corporations that are making billions of revenue, hundreds of millions of profits and not paying any taxes. And it's incredible. And if you all of a sudden you had another 50 to 100 of those not paying taxes, yeah, you'd start to have some problems.
So luckily, we want some knowledge out there and people taking advantage of it, but not too much knowledge so that the government changes the rules, which, by the way, it still receives incredible bipartisan support from both Republicans and Democrats. It's probably one of the only cases where you'll start to see pro-ESOP legislation promoted in Congress where you've got both Democrats and Republicans sponsoring the same bill. So let's talk a little bit about, we talk about exit, we talk about ongoing. What about an acquisition strategy? We talked a little bit about like a company doing it. If you were the buyer, would it make sense to convince a company to, hey, look, I'm looking at buying this, but we probably should set up a dot before I acquire it. I'll acquire 60%, 40% goes to the employees. Is there a reason why that wouldn't make sense? No. Again, it comes down to, I'll just give you something very interesting that, that mm -hmm. we're working on right now is that, and I don't know how familiar you are with the cannabis industry and cannabis retailing. I just moved from Oklahoma. I was surrounded by it. There were more dispensaries from my house right. to the, the closest grocery store was 17 miles. It's amazing. Not to give any kind of, but the problem with being a cannabis retailer is that you can't deduct, there's a section of the tax code called 280E. Mm -hmm. So if you're a cannabis retailer, you cannot deduct any of the expenses. So whatever your gross profit margin is, your profit, that's what your taxable income is. So even though there are a lot of these retailers that are making a profit, they're not generating any positive cash flow because they have to pay everything out in taxes. And it's killing the industry. And until there's federally approved legislation, you're not going to see this change. And so what we've been trying to promote within the cannabis industry is A, if you're starting a new company, like in New York, they're mm -hmm. issuing licenses right now for the first time. They just, had a, they just had this auction and they just released them. We're trying to convince business owners to create a, your business as a 100% employee-owned S-corporation, right? And then giving the founders, right, the people at warrants for, let's say, 49% of the company. So now I've got a 100% employee-owned S-corporation. It's not paying any taxes. It's not subject to 280E because it doesn't pay any taxes. And now you're sharing, right? And think about it. So now all these employees, right, are sharing in the upside. So when you're really, what are we trying to do with marijuana and cannabis retailing in the United States, right? We're trying to make it equitable. And particularly in New York, they've awarded the licenses to people that were convicted of cannabis crimes, so if you're trying to make the system equitable, right, if you're an ESG and you're trying to get that done, then what better way of doing that, of sharing that equity? So the problem is that we've had is that people, it's complicated. And yes, you're going to give away some of the upside, right? We all know you're going to be giving away some of the upside, but the tax benefits are so huge that at least you're going to be generating cash flow and then sharing it, right? You don't really look at it as giving it away. You look at it as you're participating with your workers and generating the increase in productivity, and then everybody does better. And so if you're thinking about creating a business, and I can't say we don't do a lot of that because there's not a lot of money in consulting with startups, right? So right. we can't pay the but I think it's a great idea, right? I think if a company was starting up a business and wanted to create it, so it was created as an ESOP from day one and started following that philosophy of that open book management. I think that works. I think it creates a more healthy company and a winning situation, but we've not done a lot of that. If you had to guess and like, say I'm going to start a business tomorrow, if you had to guess what the carrying costs, what the expense would be to run it as an ESOP before it's profitable, what do you think that would cost per year? Probably a few tens to $20,000 a year. That's right? a good, that's a really good question, right? So if, if you were trying to do a bare bones, 
you could probably get it done for 30 grand a year on the ongoing. It's not bad. No, no, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. And it could be profound effects on the operation. Here's a good question. Is your company, uh, CSG, is it an ESOP? Not yet, but we're, uh, we're considering it, right? You got to get to a certain stage and there's a lot of different factors that go into it. So at I some point we probably will be. I was trying to figure out if there's any regulatory stuff stopping. Certain there, are, there is some regulatory things that are stopping us too. Yeah, right? certain so, the regulatory uh, things stopping a financial institution that yes. teaches that from creating one. I was more heading down that way. And I was asking because it would be fun to chat about like this, right? What Are there any other regulations? It sounds like they're letting cannabis companies do it, which is kind of interesting. Are there any other industries where... If you're a financial advisor and you have 401ks, you have to go through extra hoops to set up your own ESOP or is there? Well, we, we've done some very large financial, we've done the largest minority owned institutional money manager in the company. It was a company yeah. out of Baltimore that was founded by an incredible man 20, 30 years ago. And he had built this company up and it became, and he tried selling stock to the employees, but it became so valuable that he was at the point that either he was going to sell the business and then kill what has built that company, which was the minority ownership. We put the ESOP in and that's been now five, six years ago, and it's going fantastic. And he's continuing to grow that company. And there aren't a lot of reasons why you can't, right? Again, we promote this to all kinds of companies, financial institutions. Are there any preconceived, like, are there any rumors or anything out there in the industry about ESOPs you wish didn't exist? You'd like to dispel right here on the spot? Yeah, that's, good. that's an excellent question, right? So number one, right, is that I told you before that an ESOP has to borrow money to give the owner cash, right? It's a leverage transaction. And so mm -hmm. the, the biggest misconception is that the business owners are going to have to personally guarantee the money that gets borrowed. And that's not true, right? If you've got a company that's cash flow positive, that's doing well, we arrange loans every day of the week. And so that's, and that's one of the things that, one of the things that private equity firms want you to believe is that they've got this magic where they can go to the capital markets and raise the money and they're the wizards and you're not. So if you want that money, you've got to go work with the wizards. That's not true. We de-wizardize the process, right? So every lender that they're going to, we're going to the same lenders, banks, non-bank lending institutions, insurance companies, pension funds, they're all out financing these transactions of various sizes. So I, I would say that's number one. And I would also say number two, if it's a family business, I can't sell to an ESOP because it'll destroy, I can't have my children participate. And as I told you before, we think that ESOPs encourage family business ownership and encourage long-term and gives the family the ability to get liquidity, a new generation to get equity at the same time, sharing that equity with all of the employees. I guess another one that comes into place, well, I don't want to share my financial information with my, I don't want employees knowing what my salary is, what their salary is, and nothing's further from the truth. Like we talked about that, old, that great game of business, employees don't know what another employee is making, right? That would not work out well. They could know if the company chooses how much overall the payroll is, how much overall they're paying on operating expenses, right? But they don't get to know individual employee salaries. So it's not like you're turning in SEC documents and everybody gets to see every line item inside of no, there. And it's no, not the, only, the only real documentation that the employees receive. Now, again, companies can receive more information, 
But what's required of ESOPs is that they provide, when a plan is set up, they provide what they call a summary plan description to all the employees. And on an annual basis, they receive their form 5500, which shows them how many shares they have and what the value that is. That's the minimum, right? And then companies go beyond that and start sharing more information, but that's purely voluntary. That's awesome. So let's make sure everybody knows how to reach out to you guys. What's the best way? And I'll put this all in the show notes, but for those that are driving down the road and listening to this, how do people reach out to you and learn more about this? Uh, well, you can go right to our website, sgpartners.com. And on that website, if you want to receive information or you want to contact us, there's a contact us button. You fill the information in and then we'll be back right back out to you. And that's one of the great things of having the internet and the access today is that we've opened up so much of the way of communication. There's a wealth of information on our website about all the different kinds of things that we're doing. Like this video we'll post eventually, but a lot of good stuff in terms of what an ESOP is, how it works, kinds of things that are going on. So it's really good to research it on that. Three takeaways. If somebody can only remember three, days, three things from our conversation, what would you want them to remember? That's a tough, that's a good question, right? Number one, that uh, for family businesses, right, ESOPs work, right? If you're an entrepreneur and you're thinking of an exit strategy, more likely than not, your professional advisors have very limited information about what an ESOP is. So if you're considering it, research it, talk to a company like ours. We've got a lot of competitors that are also very good, but reach out to a company that really knows what they're talking about because they'll dispel massive amounts of information. Number two is that there's financing available, right? Lenders lend to ESOP companies the same way that they lend to private equity companies. And then number three, remember when you're an ESOP company, you're the, you're partner in your business, Uncle Sam is no longer the partner in your business, right? Rather than paying taxes, you're building up the equity value for your employees. And so it's a great way of paying back to the employees that have helped you build this company. And at the same time, you're not going to give up anything. You're going to be paid the fair market value for your stock. So it's a win situation on all fronts. That's great. Almost said it's interesting again. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's very interesting. <clears throat> Well, I appreciate having you on here today. I'm trying to think if there's anything we missed. What questions should I, I've asked you a lot of questions. What should I, I think you asked a lot of really good questions. So okay. I think it's like with an ESOP, we always like to say, it's kind of like peeling back the layers of the onion, right? Right. But the more you learn, the more you want to know more, right? The amazing, this is really true, right? I've been doing this now for almost 24 years, right? I still learn something new every day. Right. And it's incredible. And I work with new businesses, just like you do. You speak to the entrepreneurs. We get to work with all these entrepreneurs. Now, since we've been doing it for decades, now we're seeing the fruits of what's gone on. And we're seeing all these employees becoming very wealthy from selling it. Before, we'd see the owners become wealthy because they're selling the initial stock. Now we're seeing the owner, the employees pay down the debt and they're getting their turn at the apple. And it really, really works. And for all my guys out there listening, if you're thinking about doing a roll-up or doing any form of reverse mergers and all the different things out there, all the different topics, this I think this plays into almost every one of them. If I get involved in it, I say, if when I get involved in the next roll-up project, I'm definitely going to bring this up just because, yeah, this is going to be, it's a game changer. I mean, like you think about like just not having to shell everything out to the tax man and using that money to grow, using that money to acquire other businesses. It's absolutely game-changing. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So I'm trying to think if there's any negative side of this. Like when you go to, if I went to a business owner and say, Hey, yeah, you, you're running a, a $10 million value company valued at 10 million. I'd like to buy it, but let's buy it in this structure. We put 
the company in an employee stock option, stock ownership program. I said it again. We put it in an employee stock ownership program. I buy 60% of it. They own 40% of it or whatever it needs to make sure that mm-hmm. it's owned right. Is there any negative side of that to the owner? I mean, they're... There's an extra piece. First of all, you could buy it from him and then post-transaction implement it because trying to get the business owner that's selling, it's it's a little bit more complicated. The one thing that we face is that it, it is regulated. You need an attorney. You need to do things the right way. And so you've got to spend time on it. So that gets a little confusing. That's a question we missed. How long does it take to set one up from the day I call you to the day that the employees own their shares? What's the timeline? On average now, it's about six months. Six months. Okay. Well, if you look at the typical acquisition process, it's longer than that, right? Yeah. Some things happen in 60, 90 days, but if you, especially if you're going to go down the route where you're thinking of doing an SBA loan, I don't think they close one in that short of time frame. No. I'm joking. They do no, it 90 right. to 120 days on a regular basis, but it's a lengthy process. So it fits within the normal timeline if you planned it in there. So Yes, exactly right. I want to appreciate or tell you I appreciate having you on here today. I think we we cover a lot of stuff. People know how to reach out to you. Is there any is there anything we can do for you as an audience? No, I think just anybody that's interested, just reach out to us because ESOPs are great. And I believe, obviously, we're a little bit self-interested. We've seen the effect that they have on both the lives of the selling shareholders and on the employees. And it's just a win and it's a great alternative. If you're thinking about selling the companies, reach out and explore the ESOP alternative. And that's csgpartners.com, right? Yep, csgpartners.com. That's right. All right. Appreciate having you today. We'll call right. the show. Thank you so much, Ron. I appreciate the time and learning more about it. Good luck. Awesome. Stay right. in touch. All right, bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show, ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace, we have partnered with, has a proprietary database of 50,000-plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software-as-a-service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now